0: have to fear
1: in war fear there is no substitute for victory let
0: us never negotiate out of fear we stand undivided forever united
2: fighting hand in hand for the liberty we burn for glory
0: and honor for our sons and daughters ever mindful of the lessons we've learned Let
2: the torch of freedom burn.
1: You found your way to the intersection of faith and politics. Wall Builders Live with David Barton and Rick Green. Our website's wallbuilders.com, wallbuilderslive.com. And today I also want to share with you constitutionalive.com, which specifically goes to the program that you're going to hear today on Constitutional Live. It's the third part in a four-part series this week where we're sharing with you a a big part of the Constitutional Live program. Now, if you missed the last couple of days, don't worry. You can go to our website right now at wallbuilderslive.com. You can download those two programs from the last couple of days, and then you'll be all ready for today's program, and then tomorrow we'll pick up the conclusion. So I'm sure that was clear as mud. Here's the deal. It's four parts of Wall Boulders Live this week, so four programs. And in those four programs, we are sharing with you the second chapter of Constitution Alive. We shared with you chapter one of Constitution Alive, which laid out our purpose and approach and why we were doing the program and why it's important to study the Constitution. Here in chapter two, we lay out the seeds of liberty. We're laying out for you the foundation upon which the Constitution was built. And then later, of course, we go through each and every clause in the Constitution. We talk about how to apply it and how to save it, how to restore our constitutional republic. But for this week, we're just going to get Chapter 2. We're going to share it with you free of charge here on Boulders Live. And if you want to listen to the whole thing again, go to wallboulderslive.com. We're going to pick up right where we left off yesterday. If for some reason you're going to miss the program tomorrow, don't worry, all four programs will be available on our website. But enjoy for now. We're going to pick up where we left off with Constitutional Live with David Barton and Rick Green. I didn't want to think about yesterday. And then I, I got into law school and I started reading the opinions of these judges. And I realized these judges were really into history because the way that they perceived yesterday determined the decision they made in their in their, in their uh, decisions in the court. And so then I got into the legislature and all my colleagues in the legislature, I realized it. it finally became apparent how we each viewed yesterday determined our decisions today and therefore where our state was going in the future. Of course, I, I also find it interesting in the good book, God says, Remember the former days. He talks about studying our history, how many times throughout the word of God, does they're constantly a reminder of here's what I was doing here and here's what happened here. Constantly looking at history. So I think it is important for us to study history and that's why I love being here now and I've fallen in love with history because of how much it influences where we're going. But I just, it's hard for me to imagine these guys were all there. I mean, they knew what had happened in the Revolutionary War and yet even though they were there and part of it, Benjamin Franklin had to stand up and give them a history lesson 11 years after what took place in this room for the declaration here's how i put it he said in the beginning of the contest with great britain when we were sensible of danger we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection so franklin says to his colleagues hey remember in this room so he was one of six that signed both the declaration and the constitution kind of like james wilson who we talked about earlier a bunch of these guys weren't there for the declaration so he's really reminding them i think he was speaking to them and he was saying hey you may not have been in here let me tell you something. We knew we couldn't do it on our own. So he said in the beginning, so he takes them back to this room 11 years previous. He said, our prayers were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us engaged in the struggle must observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. Then he asked the same question from right here that I think we need to ask today. He said, have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I think that's kind of where we are in America. Do we really think we can solve these massive problems we're making, uh, that we're dealing with just on our own? Do we think we can do it on our own? Franklin said no more than 200 years ago. I would say no today. So he goes on to say, I've lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. You've heard this part of a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice. Is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? So here we are they're talking about, can a nation rise? Can they can they take a constitution and create a successful nation? He said, it can't happen without God. He's saying you can't do it without God. He said, um, we've been assured in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Then he said something real interesting. He said, I beg mood to leave that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and his blessing on our deliberation be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. Now, now, why would this guy that, you know, I would argue out of all the guys, probably the least religious of our founding fathers. In fact, I think, you know, whether you come from a conservative liberal point of view on the founding fathers, most everybody agrees Ben Franklin was one of our least religious founding fathers. But, but least has got to be a relative term because here this least religious founding father, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you just heard him quote about 11 different scriptures right there in that one short quote. And he's saying, hey, we can't you shouldn't even be trying to do this without God on our side. So here this guy is calling everybody, saying, hey, we gotta keep God in the equation. God's an essential part of the equation. And Washington later would write and talk about the fact that he ended up leading everybody here to church. And they went to the church service and the pastor there actually preached on the and talked about and prayed about the fact that what was happening in this room, God needed to move so that they could reach their compromises, get the Constitution out so that we could become that beacon on a hill and washington said the attitude really changed when they came back from that and and they were able to work through things and then once they worked through things several of these guys looked back on those moments in this room and they said they believed the hand of god had played a role in what happened in here here's franklin later he said i beg i may not be understood to infer that our general convention was divinely inspired when it formed the new federal constitution yet i must own i have so much faith in the general government of the world by providence that I can hardly conceive a transaction of such momentous importance should be suffered to pass without being influenced, guided, and governed by that omnipotent, omnipresent, and beneficent ruler in whom all inferior spirits live and move and have their being. So he's quoting out of Acts right there to describe what he believed happened. James Madison, father of our Constitution, he said, The real wonder is that the Constitutional Convention overcame so many difficulties, and to overcome them with so much agreement was as unprecedented as it was unexpected. It is impossible for the pious man not to recognize in it a finger of that almighty hand which was so frequently extended to us in the critical stages of the revolution. So, so they all remembered how throughout the revolution they saw God move and give them the. I mean, think about it. They were taking on the greatest military on the planet. We were a bunch of rabble robbers. There was no way we could win if there hadn't been some miraculous thing happens. And he's saying, just like we saw it in the revolution, we saw it in the Constitutional Convention. Couldn't have happened without God's hand. Alexander Hamilton, same kind of thing. He said, for my own part, I sincerely esteem the Constitution, a system which without the finger of God never could have been suggested and agreed upon by such a diversity of interests. And last, the man that sat in that very chair right there, president of the convention, George Washington, father of our country. He said, as to my sentiments with respect to the new Constitution, it appears to me little short of a miracle. It demonstrates as visibly the finger of Providence as any possible event in the course of human affairs can ever designate it. It was miraculous folks. The fact that these, these concepts that had never been put together in a, govern, in a governing body, a, a, a republic never created like what they put together, I'm saying it never would have happened if God hadn't inspired, if he hadn't made it happen. So I, I just want to lay that out first before we actually crack open the Constitution itself and get into the words to recognize where these guys got their ideas, where they gave credit to, in fact, who they quoted the most. Have you ever really kind of look closely at what these guys were saying, they were students of history. Man, they quoted some of the great minds throughout our history. And I think it's important for us to know those influences. If you haven't read uh, uh, the, uh, Montesquieu and Spirit of the Laws and, and, and John Locke and his two treatises of government, all that is kind of the, the background, the, the big instruction manual, if you will, for this quick start guide. And so they quoted those guys quite a bit. And, and, and there was a, uh, a guy in, uh, in Houston, Texas, University of Houston, uh, last name of Lutz, that did a study on their quotes, on on who they quoted most often. And and he took about 15,000 or so writings, I forget the number, and he he, he charted them all, and he he, he, he put them in a spreadsheet, and he figured out, okay, who did these guys quote the most? And Montesquieu actually ranked number one. He he, he was quoted 8.3% of the time by these guys. So almost, you know, what is that, almost 10%. I mean, almost one out of 10 times. They're quoting Montesquieu. But Blackstone was a close second. They quoted Blackstone quite a bit. He was at 7.9%. Locke, I mentioned. Uh, Now, now Locke was probably more influential on the Declaration than on the Constitution, but still very influential. Was it 2.9? I can't see. Yeah, 2.9 percent. In fact, while we're talking about Locke, I thought it was interesting that Richard Henry Lee over there from Virginia, when he uh, when he quote when he talked about the Declaration of Independence, he said that Jefferson basically copied the Declaration of Independence from Locke's two Treatises of government. Now, that two treatises of government, my copy is a 1764 version. It's about, I think mine's, it's either 404 or 406 pages. That's not a lot, right? I mean, roughly 400 pages. And in those roughly 400 pages, there's about 1,500 references to the Bible, quoting scripture on what government ought to look like. Now, you do the math. That's about three to four times on every page that John Locke is quoting the Bible, and that's the book that... Jefferson copied the Declaration, according to Richard Henry Lee, who was who was in this room. Now you, you'll also find phrase after phrase in the Declaration of Independence uh, that it, that was originally preached by a guy named John Wise. If you ever get a chance to read some of John Wise's sermons, these guys actually reprinted his sermons and put them out for publication because they were like the seeds of liberty. There was so much in there that when sown, man, people would they would get excited about freedom and they would want to be uh, patriots and want to want to be part of the. Revolution. So guys like that were big influence. But here's the the most influential source on all these guys in the room. I bet you can guess what it was. Is the Bible. Thirty four percent of the time. Man, that's I mean that's one out of three. They're quoting the Bible. So a lot of people say the Bible didn't have any influence on the Constitution. I would disagree completely. If you read these guys who they quoted, the phrases in the Constitution, they they trace back to the Constitution. I mean to the Bible. I mean it's just over and over and over again. So, so the idea, uh, uh, just in, in summary, of truths out of the Declaration, the Creator being the source of our freedom, those were important concepts from the philosophy laid down in the Declaration before they even came to the Constitution itself. And the last thing I'll comment on what uh, Red had said about the pursuit of happiness, just give you a quick example on this whole free enterprise thing for America, why these guys knew that the pursuit of happiness was important, why free enterprise was a bedrock principle of our way of life. you got to remember, as students of history, They were looking back to how things first started here on this continent. And you might remember Bradford tried socialism in the beginning with the Pilgrims. And actually, it didn't work out so well. Now, it was was socialism. I mean, Karl Marx would have loved this. The way they did it was they said, everybody's going to work. Whatever you work for and the food you grow, you're going to put it in the public storehouse. And then everybody gets to take from it as they need it. Oh, and we'll all love each other and we'll hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And And it sounded great, right? But what happened? Bradford said it was terrible. It didn't work at all. He said... You know, guys like me, I'd have been over there saying, hey, why should I work? I get all the food I want. I'm going to play golf. I mean, I don't think they play golf back then, but whatever you do in, in the, in the with, with the Pilgrims, I'm going to go play some games anyway. So he, he said, Bradford actually said people started faking being sick. They were actually faking illness. They, 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 were, they were not working, and they were complaining. The ones that were working complained and said, hey, man, Green's over there not working. I'm feeding his family. Why didn't – Have you ever wanted to learn more about the United States Constitution but just felt like, man, the classes are boring, or it's just that old language from 200 years ago, or I don't know where to start? People want to know, but it gets frustrating because you don't know where to look for truth about the Constitution either. Well, we've got a special program for you available now called Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green. And it's actually a teaching done on the Constitution at Independence Hall in the very room where the Constitution was framed. We take you both to Philadelphia, the Cradle of Liberty in Independence Hall and to the Wall Builders Library where David Barton brings the history to life to teach the original intent of our founding fathers. We call it the Quick Start Guide to the Constitution because in just a few hours through these videos you will learn the Citizen's Guide to America's Constitution. You'll learn what you need to do to help save our constitutional republic, it's fun, it's entertaining, and it's going to inspire you to do your part to preserve freedom for future generations. It's called Constitution Alive with David Barton and Rick Green. You can find out more information on our website now at wallbuilders.com. Let the
2: torch of freedom burn.
1: So here's what he said. He said, community of property was found to breed much confusion and discontent. So what was his solution? What did Bradford implement that we actually, these guys here said was so important? Free enterprise and private property. Imagine that. He said, okay, everybody, you get get your own property. You can grow stuff on that property, and then you can eat it, or you can sell it. You can do whatever you want with it. It's totally up to you. And then within two years, those guys were exporting corn instead of starving to death free enterprise, private property, it worked, and these guys knew it. Here's how Bradford described it afterwards. He said, it made all hands very industrious, so that much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any means the governor or any other could devise and saved him a great deal of trouble and gave far better satisfaction. So in other words, that system worked, and these guys knew that, and that's why they put it in our system in the pursuit of happiness. Now, here's where we come in. We are the governed, right? So it requires our consent for our system to work. If we want just power in our government, then we've got to give our consent. I like uh, uh, James Garfield. President Garfield was a, a, a pastor and also president of the United States, and he put it this way. He said, now more than ever before, the people are responsible for the character of their Congress. He said, if that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, don't be hollering out any congressman's name, okay? If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, I know we all pictured somebody, but if, if it be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it's because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. Instead of it being intelligent, brave, and pure, it's because the people—I like this word—demand these high qualities to represent them in the national legislature. If the next centennial does not find us a great nation, it'll be because the people who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation—that's us. That's the people in this room now. The people at home watching. The people watching on the DVD. We are the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation. He said, if we don't have a great nation, it's because those people did not aid in controlling the political forces. And controlling there simply means giving or refusing our consent, exercising our freedoms, living out the Constitution and the Declaration. Last quote on this. One of the guys in this room, John Francis Mercer. He actually told us that this document right here is not enough that what they were framing would not be enough to guarantee freedom. In fact, he said it's a great mistake to suppose the paper we are to propose will govern the United States. He said the Constitution will not govern the United States. Say, wait a minute, I thought we came here to study the Constitution because it's governing the United States. He said, no, it's the men whom it will bring into the government. See, it's gonna set up the rules for how we choose our leaders and how they're supposed to govern. So it does set up the rules, but it's not gonna govern us. It's the men whom it will bring into the government and the interest they have in maintaining it that will govern them, the paper will only mark out the mode and the form, kind of like that frame, men are the substance and must do the business. What he's saying is this document's great, but if we the people put people in office and on the bench, they're willing to ignore it, willing to shred it, willing to distort it, willing to govern around it, it just doesn't mean anything anymore. The document doesn't govern us. The people we put into government is what governs us. So if we want to uphold this document, then we have to make wise decisions in choosing our leaders. We have to be part of the process even as it goes on, even after you choose the leaders, being engaged in our government, watching what's happening, letting our voice be heard constantly, just like these guys did in their lifetime. So that's that's the philosophy that they gave us. There is a God. There there are truths. There's right and wrong worth fighting for, worth dying for. Our system of government will work if we'll just be willing to give or or refuse that consent. Being engaged will make those seeds of liberty spring forth. They'll give us a great nation of freedom. So now that we know the seeds of liberty, now that we know how we're going to do this, we're going to dive into the Constitution itself. When we come back in our next section, we're going to do kind of a a 30,000 feet view, if you will. We're going to step back and look at the entire Constitution all at once, and then we'll start zooming into specific areas that are most under attack or most in question today, sort of like our Our quick start guide, we're going to look for those places we need to be plugging things in and making sure that they work. So when we come back, we'll talk about that 30,000 feet view.
0: Establish justice. Ensure domestic tranquility. Provide for the common defense. Promote the general welfare.
2: This is David Barton with another moment from America's history. America has a history of great patriots who loved and sacrificed much for their country. One of these was John Witherspoon, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. While president at Princeton, he personally trained many who became important leaders in American government, including James Madison. How could John Witherspoon tell if someone really loved America? He explained, He is the best friend to American liberty, who is most sincere and active in promoting true and undefiled religion, and who sets himself with the greatest firmness to bear down profanity and immorality of every kind. Whoever is an avowed enemy of God, I hesitate not to call him an enemy to his country. Founding father John Witherspoon believed that a true American patriot opposed profanity and immorality and promoted true and undefiled religion. For more information on God's hand in American history, contact Wall Builders at 1-800-8-REBUILD.
1: Well, I guess you could tell, Rhett was having as much fun as uh, as you and I have. Well, well, so were you in the background you're watching right. Rhett? So you're you having right. a lot of fun too. You love teaching those principles from that very room. Now, before we get to the
2: the thirty thousand, and by the know. way, I think that was a third thing was to teach the rising generation. I think
1: that's the third objective. There you go, the getting those little guys. Teach in the there, that generation. is the rising generation. So, in our next chapter, we'll we'll get the third thirty thousand feet view on the Constitution itself. But before we do that, some more on these seeds of liberty. Yeah. Rhett was doing a little bit. He did four principles yeah. out of the Declaration. You go further in a, in a couple of other paragraphs there and yeah. broaden it out to six principles. Yeah, Red got some really good
2: application, like the free market systems they show there. there. There's so many good things there. Um, let's go back and, and back up just the overview of the, of the declaration because it's national birth certificate. But there's 155 words up top that set forth six immutable principles. Okay. Those six principles are followed by 27 grievances, and then the declaration that because of these principles, the violation of them, 27 different categories, we're now going to become a separate nation. So when you look at those principles, let's just take clauses out of those 155 words because this is the essence. This is the key. By the way, this is what you have working on with other states uh, with the Celebrate, uh, celebrate Freedom, celebrate week. freedom yeah, sure. week is to get them to learn these kind of principles. Yeah. So what you've got so just is- Just get into the founding documents. Get into the They'll founding into the documents. Learning. Real simple stuff. Yeah. So you have the clause in the declaration that says all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator. Now, what does that tell us is our first principle that there is a divine creator. Now, today we're told, well, you can believe that, but not everybody believes in the creator, so that's why government can't take a position favoring religion over non-religion. That's what the courts have told us for these 40 years of judicial activism. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute, that document, it says that it's the unanimous declaration of 13 states of America. That doesn't sound like private individuals talking. This is the unanimous declaration of all the elected officials from those 13 states sent to the Continental Congress and later this is on, what we agreed on, right? This, I mean, this
1: is what brought us together. This, this is our philosophy.
2: public declaration yeah. to the world of why we're doing what we're doing. Why we're doing what we're doing because we in America believe there is a divine creator, and that becomes the first step in limited government. You cannot have the limited government if you think government's at the top of the, the pecking order. Yeah. If government's at the top, then what limits it? There's got to be something higher than government. If there's nothing higher than, so we said, hey, there's a creator that's higher than everything, and that's why government is limited. It doesn't do. It's not the creator. It doesn't get to do everything the Creator does. It's below the Creator. Yeah. So our thing is, all right, we we believe there's a Creator. We've been created, and the Creator gets the right to tell His creation what to do. So government, listen up. And that so, one principle has a huge impact. It's on a what kind huge of nation impact. It's a huge yeah. impact. Uh, you you find me any secular government in the world that's a limited government? Can't do it. It's an oxymoron. You cannot find it. France, Greece, maybe China. No, you can't go to Cuba. Uh, can't do sweden can't do norway uh can't do chile can't you can't find a second if god's not in the equation government has to be even bigger government is god con- that's that's great, great that's it, put it yeah. there, there will be a supreme authority and if it's not god it will be government yeah so if you if you don't get the declaration concept right that god's at the top then government thinks it's at the top and therefore when it gives you a right it can regulate that right it can repeal that right can take it away if god's at the top and god gives you right government you keep your stinking hands off that because it doesn't belong to you it belongs to god it's a jurisdictional issue good so that's the first point the okay. second point is based on that it says they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights so number one not only is there a creator he gives us a certain set of rights these aren't given by government they come from the creator therefore government these don't belong to you it's you know you and i both live in texas I, I'm a cowboy, got the ranch, got all the stuff, and I got the pickup that goes with it. And I got-
1: <laughs> But no cowboy hat worn here today. Not I'm on saying, this. Not not here. Very but often on the red. that's into, right. Yeah.
2: I like my pickup. I got a red Ford pickup. And I've looked over at yours and you got a gray dots. I don't like gray. <laughs> I'm going to go over and paint your pickup red because I like red pick. I can't do that. Yeah. I don't have the jurisdictional authority to go over into something that doesn't belong to me and change it. And that's what we do with government is, hey, government, these rights over here—they come from God. They don't belong to you. You didn't give them. They come from God. Therefore, you cannot go over there and mess with them. Same way I can't go mess with your pickup. I may not like a Dodge. May not
1: like gray. Doesn't matter. Well, we're out of time for today, folks. That was Constitutional Live with David Barton and Rick Green. We were sharing with you part of Section Two or Chapter Two out of the entire Constitutional Live program. About twelve hours of material there in that program and those DVDs, where we take you to Philadelphia to Independence Hall where the Constitution was actually framed and from that room in the very place where those founding fathers debated the principles upon which our nation was built in that room we teach on the Constitution. And then we take you to the Library of Wall Builders where we share those original documents with you. And today was part three of that four-part series that we're sharing this week free of charge to you. If you want the entire DVD program for more information, you can take a look at it there at constitutionalive.com. Thank you so much for listening today. You've been listening to Wall Builders Live. We
0: stand undivided.